As we gather together here this morning, the first thing that I want to ask you to do is to take just a few moments, as best as you can, and just very quickly go back in your own life and reflect on a few what we would call defining moments in your life. Like some of those moments that life somehow after the moment was different than it was before. And what we're going to define a defining moment as this morning here is something that's both memorable and meaningful in your life. So it could have been something recent, but it could have been something a long time ago. It could have been something when you were a kid. But one of those things that's a defining element of your life, a defining moment that somehow life was different after than before. As you're thinking about that, I'll share just a couple of mine with you that stick out in my mind. I still remember as a 10th grader having the opportunity for the very first time to play or to start in a varsity basketball game. That was a really big deal for me. I still remember having my name called and having a chance to run out there and be out there and what that felt like in that moment and kind of that moment of euphoria. That's an increasingly long time ago, but it's still etched in my memory what that felt like. I also remember the very first time that I went skiing. Uh, It ended pretty much in disaster. I was coming close to a turn that I needed to make, and I just was not able to make it, and so I literally went down over the side of the mountain. Uh, I didn't get hurt because there was a lot of snow there, but literally I remember looking down and just seeing my the edges of my my skis just ever inching over the edge, and then like down I went. Like that's still etched very clearly in my memory. I remember the day that I got a letter in the mail with some scholarship information that was going to allow me to go to the college that I was really hoping to go to. And just being overwhelmed at God's provision and allowing that to be the case in my life, I remember opening that up and just still what it felt like to be like, wow, God, thank you for this amazing opportunity. I still remember very clearly the very first time I looked at Jen and uttered with great fear, I love you. Those are big, scary words to me, and I still remember what it felt like to put them out there to her. How was she going to receive them? I also remember very clearly in the wedding ceremony that moment where I looked at her and said, I do, because life was going to be very different after that moment than what it had been prior to that moment. I remember very clearly what it was like to look on each of my three children for the very first time. I'd always wondered, God, what will my kids look like? And having a chance to actually lay my eyes upon them was a powerful, powerful thing. I remember the moment after 10 years of journeying towards ordination when the bishop took a stole over my neck and he yanked it. And I remember that moment of the yanking. And he said, take thou authority and go and serve. Feel him still. I can feel the yank on my neck. And I remember, as I've shared with some of you, the very moment that I was notified that I was coming here to First Church in the previous place that we had lived and where we served. I remember being in the house, specifically in the bedroom, looking out the window onto the street in front of our house on the phone, being told this is where we were going to come and realizing all of life had just changed again and it was going to be different going forward than back. The interesting thing in life is that we are surrounded by moments. We have thousands of moments every single day. But I couldn't tell you what I did last Thursday morning at, you know, 2.03 p.m. I have no idea what was going on then. Most moments pass us by and we never take notice, but we have those defining moments where we reach them and somehow life is different after than before. If I may be so bold this morning, it is my hope and it is my prayer that this morning will be a defining moment for us in our walk with God. Not because of anything that I do, 
but because of the presence of God's Spirit among us, and I'm hoping the openness of our own hearts and souls here this day. That somehow life will specifically be different after this day and after this time than it was before. And very specifically, that there will be a willingness in our part, on our part, to say yes to Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. You might remember that we are coming to the end of this particular sermon series on foundations, and we've looked at a number of big things, and so we began weeks ago, and we started with a focus on the Bible, then we looked at God, then we looked at sin, then we looked at the incarnation, then we looked at the Holy Spirit, and then last week we looked at the church or the communion of saints, and now this morning we come to our final element of this foundational series, which is salvation. And of all the things that we looked at, as big as they are, as powerful as they are, none affect us more personally, both now and literally forever, than this topic of salvation. Now, the term salvation carries a lot of ideas. We associate a lot of different things with it. So let me just say for us this morning, very simply, salvation means the act of being saved. And for us specifically, it means being saved from harm and being harm, uh, saved from destruction and hurt and pain in our lives. For us as followers of Jesus, it specifically means being saved from sin in our lives that would separate us from God. And a lot of times when we think of salvation, we might think of the removal of things, but I also want to emphasize it's not just the removal of something, it's not just being saved from something, it's also the opportunity to embrace something. And what we're embracing is not just good news, we are embracing the best news possible. We are embracing the best news that there is in the universe. And so it's a simultaneous removal of what would destroy us or separate us from God, and at the same time embracing the love that God has for us and saying and being reminded there is no better news to be found anywhere in the entire universe. And keeping that in mind, I want us this morning to hear these words from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. And I want to ask you to bear with me just a moment, because what I'm going to read for you, it's actually a description of salvation that Paul gives to us here this morning. He doesn't actually use the word salvation, but it's probably the best description in all of Scripture that we find of what salvation is. And I just want to ask you, I'm going to do this really quickly, but he just kind of paints out for us this massive scope of beauty and majesty found in the grace of God that comes with salvation in God. Now, I want to ask you to just indulge me here for just a moment. I'm going to try my best to read this not only super quickly, but also with just one breath. All right, so I don't know if I can quite make it. I haven't quite made it here this morning. I have made it other times when I've tried this. So just bear with me a moment. Chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, and it says this. Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him with creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, and love he predestined us to be adopted sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely given us in one he loves, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished us with wisdom and understanding, and made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put in effect when the times will reach it, for we want to bring all things in heaven and earth unto one bread, even Christ. That's the best I've done this morning, I want to tell you. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I just got to say, no clapping for anything important, but I do that, and you guys all clap. I mean, that's just, okay, that's on, whatever. I hear you. I hear you on that. So, but you're probably like, why would I do that? That's kind of a ridiculous thing to do. I get that. Here's why. 
Because in the original Greek, when Paul wrote that, he did it in one long continuous sentence. Like there were no breaks. We have breaks in it now. We put periods in it now. There were no breaks when Paul originally did this. So Paul's the kind of guy that when he gets rolling on something, he gets rolling. So why was he rolling so much on this that he just wanted to keep on zipping along? What was so important that he was like, I don't even want you to take a breath. I don't want you to even pause lest you missed even a, miss even a glimmer of the splendor I'm trying to share with you. What was it that had him so fired up? He's like, what does I keep on moving no matter what? What had him so fired up was this idea and this reality of salvation, that when we say yes, and when we have that defining moment of saying yes in Christ, that salvation in all of its glory and majesty and wonder, Paul wants us to catch every single element of it and not miss anything. Don't even take a breath lest you miss something. That's what he's trying to paint for us here. In fact, what Paul is doing, he's giving us the 30,000-foot view of salvation. Tim Keller calls this the nosebleed view of Scripture in regards to salvation. He's like, we are taking the really high-up view and trying just to get even a glimpse of the glory and majesty and splendor of it all. Things look different from thousands of feet up than whenever you're right in the midst of them. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been on a plane a couple of times in different places. And one of the really cool things, as you probably know if you've ever had a chance to ride on a plane, is when you are thousands of feet up to look out the window and see what else is out there. God's creation looks totally different from thousands of feet in the air than it does on the ground. And so when you're literally flying over mountains and you can see them and you see green and you see dirt in different places and you see the organization of cities and you see mountains in the distance and you see the clouds in the horizon and you see the sun shining in different ways, it is absolutely spectacular. You get this panoramic view of creation that makes you appreciate it that much more. In fact, there's a picture that I want to show you here this morning. It's of a rainbow that's cascading down onto mountains. And when you look at this picture, if we can put that up, whenever you look at this picture, it looks like hills from the distance that we're at. Let me tell you, those aren't hills. Those are mountains, majestic mountains. And that just starts to give you an idea that if those are mountains, how massive must that rainbow be pouring forth in all of this vibrant color and how gigantic it must be. We have to, the only way we catch a glimpse of that beauty and splendor and that perspective is when we take a step back and look at the panoramic view. That's what Paul's trying to do here this morning to help us understand that when we say yes in a definitive moment and catch a glimpse of salvation, this is how beautiful it is. That's what he's describing here in verses 3 through 10. And specifically, the nugget that he wants us to catch is verses 7 and 8 that says this, because this is salvation. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished, that he lavished on us. And around that reality, Paul builds everything else. And he's like, just get even a glimpse of this. And if we do, it's one of those definitive moments that changes our life now and for eternity. Last week, we had a definitive moment. I didn't even know it at the time. I found out later that literally while we were meeting last week, right now some of you might know that a number of our confirmation students are in the midst of gathering, and it's a pretty long, rigorous process that they go through. In fact, they cover a lot of the same foundational elements that we've been covering in this sermon series. And last week, one of the students, her name is uh, Kaylee Helmrich, those of you that might know Kaylee, in the course of discussion, in the course of what they were talking about, the conversation reached a point where she and her mentor were talking And Kaylee came to the place last week of wanting to say yes for the very first time 
to Jesus Christ. And so she talked with her mentor and talked with Josh, and together they gathered together, and she prayed, and she welcomed Jesus into her heart and into her life, into her soul. She said yes for the very first time. You can, now, now you should be clapping. <laughs> That's a, that is a really, really, really good thing. Because what happened in that moment is for the first time for Kaylee, her perspective began to change about knowing God out there to suddenly understanding Jesus more personally and for the first time beginning to walk in a journey and understanding the grace, the love, the abundance, the purpose, the forgiveness that God lavishes upon her through Christ. And her mentor came up to me later with tears in her eyes saying, let me tell you what happened this morning. There was a definitive moment where Kaylee said yes. What was she saying yes to? Verses 7 and 8, that in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And she got a glimpse of that, that panoramic view, and said The problem, though, church, is this. We've taken this panoramic, majestic, most incredible good news in the universe, and somehow in our being so formal or, or efficient or whatever you want to call it, we've tainted this good news. We, we've shrunken it. We've, we've trivialized it to, to a slogan of something like, are you saved? Specifically, looking at people we don't even know or walk with, and we say something like, are you saved? And in doing that, we are putting upon them this, this, this shrunken version of what the gospel is originally intended to be. In fact, if I even say the word salvation, we have lots of different ideas and connotations that come to mind. When I say salvation and what does it mean for us to be saved in Jesus Christ, probably some of the images that come to mind for us are maybe that person on the street corner just yelling as everyone goes by, are you saved? Are you going to go to hell? Or maybe you think of a preacher and he's just thumping that Bible over and over again and trying to get you to feel guilty enough until you'll somehow acquiesce and through manipulation say, I'll say yes to Jesus or just leave me alone, quit making me feel guilty. Or for some of us, when it comes to talking about Jesus and being saved, we, we start to trip over ourselves. And what does it mean to talk about that with other people? And what if I say the wrong thing? And what if I don't get the formula right? Let me, and we just make a mess of it. That's never what it was intended to be. It was intended to be this description that Paul's giving us here this morning of this incredibly majestic good news for us to receive. And in the church, as soon as we just sort of reduce it to a tagline of, are you saved, we've cheapened what God intended for us to receive as the best news possible. Recently, Jen and I had to do something that's one of my least favorite things to do. We had to get a new car, at least new for us car, so a used car. But the reason for that is one of our other vehicles had become unreliable. By unreliable, I mean every time we turned it on, it didn't always necessarily start. So that is a problem in my book. I don't have the ability to fix it. If we hit that point, that's the point of no return when it comes to our vehicles. So we had that with one of them. We had to go and get a new one, which meant we had to go out and go shopping. Now, I'll just admit to you, I have a bias when I think about used car salespeople and who they are and how they are. So if you are one, I apologize. I don't, I don't mean anything about what, to you personally what I'm going to say. Just, I have this idea in my head of them being sort of these slick individuals, maybe at times even a little bit slimy, because like as soon as I walk onto the parking lot, they know I have a need. They know that I'm in trouble with something, and they have the potential answer, and so I'm like a feeling like they're just going to have me over a barrel, and are they going to take advantage of me, and all of these kinds of different things, and I'm like, I just, I don't know about this. 
But I have to say to you, Jen and I went together and we visited with a number of different car salespeople the other week, used car salespeople, in fact, and I was pleasantly surprised. The vast majority of them were actually great. And the best ones, you know what they realized? They realized that for us, buying a new car for us was a really big deal. So they tried pretty hard to not be overly pushy, but they did try to be present. They were very intentional to answer all of our questions. They were very knowledgeable. They were willing to walk with us. They did the best that they could to just develop a relationship with us and move through the process together because they knew that we were in trouble. And they knew that they actually had some really good news to offer us, and they did. Cars that actually worked. <laughs> and so that was great. And so we went through this day, and I was, again, I was actually pretty impressed with what they did and how they were willing to walk with us. Church, we have the best news in the universe, and yet what we often do is make the world feel like we are used car salesmen, that we're going to be overly pushy and push something on other people. We tend to not be willing to walk with them and build a relationship with them, and then we just come along out of the blue and look at them and say, are you saved? And they don't get any glimpse of the panoramic view of salvation that Paul is laying out for us here this morning. When it comes to salvation, God invites us to walk with other people in an authentic way and to let the love and the joy of Christ flow through us in an authentic way and at the appropriate time to answer the questions that they might have and at the really appropriate time to share, here's the greatest good news of all. And for us to not taint it and trivialize it into a formula that we feel like we have to trip over. Salvation changes not just our life today, not just our present life, it changes our eternal trajectory. It's that important. It's that significant. It is a big, wonderful, holy thing, and it can happen in a defining moment. It was October of 2000, the year 2000, so a number of years ago, an October evening. Two gentlemen, Don Commence and Chris Barbick, were sitting in a pub one evening, in Texas, in Houston, Texas. It had been a long day. They'd both worked 14 hours. They worked for a charter school called Charter Prep Yes. And they were sitting there, and it had been this long day, and they were just having a drink. They were sitting in a pub. They were eating tombstone pizza because there was nothing else at the pub to eat that night, and they were watching ESPN. And I'm sure some of you have seen this. On ESPN, they have what they call a National Signing Day or National Signing Celebration. And the idea is that these athletes from high school have this big reveal of where they are going to go and take their athletic talents and what school that's going to be. But nobody knows what school it's going to be until they all gather and there's a press conference and then the athlete does something like reach under the table and pull out maybe the hat of where they're going to go or the jersey of where they're going to go or you know the pennant or t-shirt, something that shows what school they're going to go to. And it's this moment of surprise and it's this moment of reveal and everybody goes crazy and there's this tremendous celebration about where this athlete's going to go and play football. Well, Chris and Don are watching this one night in this pub in 2000, and they're looking at this, and little did they know that they were just moments away from their own defining moment, their own epiphany, whereby they would have an idea that would affect the lives of thousands and thousands of students to come after them. Because they were sitting there watching that night, and it suddenly dawned on Don as he was watching this. He's like, this is awesome. What a great celebration for these athletes. But he's like, you know what would be even cooler? Wouldn't it be great if we could do the same kind of celebration with our students for academics and not just athletics? 
And he looked at Chris and he said, what do you think about us doing our own senior signing day? And the idea would be that our students, whenever they've decided to go to a college, we're going to have a special celebration where everybody gathers together and they will reveal where they are going to go to college and what college academically they've been accepted into. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, Chris loved the idea because Chris had actually started this charter prep school. And he had started in 1998 specifically for students in disadvantaged situations because what he had witnessed in the education system was that oftentimes kids who had gotten to sixth grade, they still had a light in their eyes for learning. But then as soon as they'd go off to junior high, the pressures of gangs, the pressures of drugs and other things would somehow quelch and and, and crush within them this desire and this love of learning. And then he'd said, you know, then it would be gone forever. And he just, he saw this over and over and he couldn't live with it. So he said, what if we did this? What if we created a special different kind of school, a school that our kind of students deserve? And his students were ones in very disadvantaged situations. Most of them were Hispanic. Most of them were poor. And the vast majority of these families had never had anyone graduate from anything. So they developed this Charter Prep Yes School specifically to work with students and to be able to walk with them all the way through to entire, all the way to their own graduation. And one of the requirements of graduation for them was even if they didn't go to college, they had to at least be accepted into a college. So six months later, they had their first senior signing celebration. 17 graduating seniors. There were 450 people who came, and so they had to go to a nearby community center, and they gathered there, and one by one, each student would come up to the podium, and they would announce what school they had been welcomed into and accepted into, and everybody went crazy. I mean, it was just this joy and celebration, and what Chris and Dawn eventually said was what they underestimated was the sheer emotion that came with each kid who got up and shared. Because what they realized is that when the kids said, I've been accepted into whatever school it was, it represented a moment of monumental work, monumental achievement, but also all the sacrifices that the entire community had made. The faculty, the teachers, the administration, and the families who would help put these kids through school, that for the first time, many of them, their family was going to have somebody graduating. And so when that kid said, I've been accepted into such and such school, everyone erupted. And it happened time after time after time again. And by the end of the night, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. It was such a defining moment for the Charter Prep Yes School that they said, you know what, we got to do this every year, and so they did. And after a number of years, it wasn't 17 students graduating, it was 126 students graduating. And it wasn't 450 people who gathered in celebration, it was over 5,000 people. They had to rent the basketball court at Rice University for this time and this joy and this celebration. That's how excited they were for this opportunity. In fact, by the end of their, a number of years later, they actually invited the U.S. Secretary of Education to come and be the commencement speaker. And when he did that years later, he, he witnessed all of this happening in front of him and as he got up to share his comments he just scrapped them and he said you know what this has been such a powerful experience such an amazing thing he's like I love football and basketball and we celebrate athletics but witnessing this your inspiration surpasses it all in your academic achievement he was absolutely blown away why do I share that with you Because in that defining moment, something happened. But as great as it was, when these kids would get up there and they would say, in that moment, I'm going to this school, there would be this eruption, as powerful as that is, 5,000 people yelling and cheering and feeling the vibration of them all cheering loudly. It pales in comparison to the signing opportunity we have, which is as Christians, to have our names signed in the book of life in Christ.
We're not talking about a national signing. We're not talking about a senior signing. We're talking about a salvation signing where our very names are written in the book of life. And when that happens, all of creation rejoices. The angels rejoice and celebrate that for all of eternity, we get to walk in joy and grace and beauty and love and splendor with Jesus Christ forever. Forever. (laughs) That's what Paul is trying to lay out for us here this morning. And every single person's yes for that definitive moment, it's different. For some, it's super dramatic. Like for Paul, he's walking along on the road to Damascus one day, and God stops him in his tracks and practically shakes him, and he's left blind. I mean, it's dramatic. And then there's people like John Wesley, whose heart was just, not just, but strangely warmed. But the result was the same, a definitive moment where life was different after the moment than before. What might it be for us? Because everyone's yes is different. So specifically this day, I want to extend an invitation to us to have our own defining moment this day where we might say yes specifically to Jesus Christ in our hearts, our souls, and our minds so that it's not just a senior signing again. It's not just a national signing. It's all of creation rejoices that our names are written in the book of life. So if you're here and you're one of those people that, you know what, you've come to church, you've done the church thing for a long time, maybe you've even put money in the offering plate every week, maybe you've even done some service connected with the church, but you've never really in your heart of hearts said yes to Jesus. Like you're here to be a good person, a moral person, but that intimate, close, personal connection with Jesus, truthfully, if we really searched ourselves, doesn't exist. At best, Jesus is some form of fire insurance for us. Church, though, is obligation, not celebration. If that is us here this morning, can I invite us to have a definitive moment of there being a shift from knowing about to knowing Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Because he's the best news possible. Jesus is not a formula. He's a person. So if you're one of those people whose Jesus has been a formula, will you say yes today? Maybe you're here and you're not sure if you're a Christian. Like, you want to be, you're trying to be, you're trying to be a good person, but you're not sure if you are. Uh, There's a gentleman named uh, Dr. David Lloyd Martin Jones, who was the minister at the Westminster Cathedral in London for 30 years. And he says how frequently he would get together with people, and through the course of their conversation, they'd be talking, and he would ask them, he'd say, are you a Christian? And they would say something like, well, I'm trying to be. I want to be, I'm working towards becoming one. He'd stop them. He'd be like, no, 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 no. He'd stop them in their tracks. He's like, no, you're not getting it. You either are a Christian or you're not. Just, you see, it's a yes or it's a no. Just like you're married or you're not. You're pregnant or you're not. There is no in-between. It reminds me of Yoda a little bit. You know, do or do not. There is no try. We don't have to guess for a Christian. It's not something that we just work ourselves towards. There's that moment where we can say, yes, Jesus, I want to know your love and your grace and your beauty in my life. If that's you today and you've been trying to work in that direction, I invite us to say yes, definitively. And if you're here today and whether consciously or subconsciously, you've just, you know, you've just never said yes to Jesus for whatever reason, I invite you this morning to say yes for the very first time. I shared with you earlier a bunch of my definitive moments. Let me give you one more. I did have the privilege 
of growing up in a church setting, but I never knew Jesus for a long time. And I can tell you the day when there was a shift in my life from knowing about to knowing, and it changed everything. I love Jesus, and I want as many people as possible to know this best news in the universe. And I'm not even sure I'm that cut out to be a pastor. Like, I know that's what I do. But the reason I'm a pastor is just this. I want as many people as possible to know the transforming love of Jesus Christ like it's transformed mine. And I just thought maybe this is the best place I can be to try to share that with others. Being a pastor doesn't have to be your thing. Again, I'm not even sure it's mine. But it's the best place I know to say, hey, there's nothing greater than this. There's nothing greater than the transforming love of this because I know my stuff, my mistakes, my filth, and God still says, I love you, Matt. So much, my son will die for you. In my family, when my kids are hurting, and we've had a couple times recently, my kids are in pain, and I look at them, and I just want to take that pain away. I don't know what else I can do other than this. I open my arms wide to them, and I say, Alex or Josh or Zach, there's more to this world than the pain you're going through right now. There's more to this world than what you're experiencing right now. And I open my arms wide, and I just want to love on them. God the Father says to you and I, I open my arms wide, on this cross because there's more to this life than what you're experiencing. There's more to this life than the pain that you're going through. And so I open my arms wide and in a definitive moment, I give my life up to you for you so that I can embrace you in my love. I want to walk with you not just today, but for all of eternity. That's the invitation that's extended to us here this morning to say yes. That for the first time, Ephesians 1, 7, and 8 would become real to us, that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he's lavished, lavished upon us. Can we say yes to that love today? Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, the yes, that we receive that grace. We began today by talking about the panoramic view of salvation that takes our breath away. Now this same God comes right here, right now, up close and personal, and takes our breath away again by saying, I love you so much, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you any more or any less than I do in this very moment. And I want to do life with you now and forever. Would you say yes? And that this would be a definitive moment for us.